This time on Poll Hub, we're digging into our brand new poll with NPR and the PBS NewsHour. We asked a lot of questions about a lot of topics, so we've got plenty to discuss, including American attitudes about government shutdowns and sending dollars to foreign wars in which we're not directly involved. Then we're revisiting a show from earlier this year when we did a segment on tipping. We asked, was tipping out of control? Well, a couple of new polls just out have given us a chance to look again at that question. We've got some really interesting data to talk about. And finally, we're finishing with a question about reincarnation, sort of. And I'm gonna surprise even myself with my answer. There's your tease. Stick around, plenty to do, let's get to it. And hi, everybody. Welcome to Poll Hub. I'm J.D. Dapper. I'm Mary Griffith. I'm Athan Holland. And I am Lee Marengoff. We have a new poll out this week. We did with our partners at NPR and the PBS NewsHour. And as I noted in the open, we asked a lot of questions about a lot of topics. One of the, the top ones was about the government shutdown. It does look at this point like there won't be a government shutdown. But we can talk about what America, who Americans would have blamed if there was and their thoughts about government shutdowns. We also asked about the uh, Israel-Hamas war, and I think there's a lot of interesting uh, news in there. NPR and PBS have been talking about those uh, today as we record on this Wednesday. Uh, and then there's a, a topic that I really like, which is this notion of uh, what's the problem with our politics? Is it our system or is it our politicians? And I, I kind of like uh, that one because things have gone in a direction that I don't think is surprising but does uh, speak a lot to our current situation. So, Lee, Mary will do some numbers here, but Lee, where do you want to start? You, you get to pick. Oh, gosh. You know, there's lots of places to start. Um, like you said, you know, I, I was watching the news and I'm trying to figure out what's going on in Congress with the government shutdown because last I heard, the conservative elements or the more extreme elements in the Republican Party threw out their speaker and put in a new speaker. And this new speaker pretty much did what the last speaker did who got thrown out. So now I'm confused as to what's going on, given that the Democrats are more eager to go along. And it's basically, I think what they would call this is a clean continuing resolution. And conservatives in the Republican Party wanted to put all kinds of attachments to it. Having said that, the Democrats wanted to put an aid to Israel and the Ukraine as part of the continuing, and that's not there either. So I don't know exactly what's going on. How's that for a, uh, a tale of confusion? What we do know what's going on is public opinion on the issue of a government shutdown. So let's start there just with some very basic top line numbers. So when we take a look at um, who's to blame for the level of national death, a plurality, 40%, say both Democrats and Republicans are to blame. But if a government shutdown were to occur, nearly half would blame the GOP and 43% would blame President Biden and the Democrats in Congress. What's interesting here is that close to one in five, 18% of Republicans would blame uh, the Republicans in Congress. Now, this is a question that I found very interesting, which is, the idea of using a government shutdown as a tactic in budget negotiations. And what we found here was that 75% of Americans don't think that should be allowed, don't think it's acceptable to use the threat of a government shutdown as a negotiation when talking about the budget. Among the Republicans, however, 37% of Republicans uh, think that that is an acceptable way to proceed, and that's more so than uh, Democrats and independents. I, I do think that's a really interesting uh, point, though. And yeah, 37% of Republicans say that, but 61% of Republicans say it's not acceptable. And in the modern era, um, it has been Republicans who have largely used the threat or the actual 
you know, carrying out of a government shutdown to try to accomplish their goals. And in nearly every case, it, it hasn't worked. There were government shutdowns during Reagan when the Democrats controlled Senate and the House. Uh, I don't want to make this a uniform. Republicans only use it. Democrats have threatened it and have actually shut down the government uh, in the past in the 80s. But, you know, again, in, in recent times, it's been Republicans. So the fact that 61 percent of Republicans say it's not uh, acceptable, I think is is interesting. I think it's interesting that Republicans would be blamed for it. And I think, Lee, that helps answer a little bit of your question that Mike Johnson doesn't have any place to go. He's the new speaker, but he really has no room to maneuver here for the same reasons that the prior Republican speaker did not have any room to maneuver. And so I think that looking at these numbers, it does help underscore that the Republican Party is very split in a lot of ways, but the government shutdown idea is not something that even a fairly significant majority of, of, of his members, certainly, but of the Republican, you know, registered voters, even they're not on board with that. I think that goes a long way to explaining that. Yeah. And I think also, you know, this is started getting into election season and I think government shutdowns, not your most popular thing to go back to the voters with. And I think uh, they're very sensitive to the holidays coming up and, you know, what the bad PR fallout from another government shutdown. But uh, Jay, you also talked about the thing that you found interesting in this. And I think this is a part of it. Uh, you know, people aren't eager to throw in the towel on governments working. What they are concerned about is that individual members of Congress can screw it all up. And so I think that you know, they, they certainly don't want to be writing that script right now. The question is, yeah. which comes closer to your view of Congress these days? Most yeah. members of Congress have good intentions, but it's the political system that's broken. Or the political system can work fine. It's the members of Congress that are the problem. Well, 69% say it's the members of Congress that are the problem, including 70% of Democrats, 65% of Republicans, and 75% of independents. And this is a trended question. So Pew asked a similar question in 2015. At that time, 53% thought it was the members of Congress that were the problem, and 37% thought it was the political system. That's a 16 percentage point move towards the politicians are what's broken. And I agree with you, Lee. I, I think, you know, the pox on, on both your houses is more about the pox on both of your memberships as opposed to, you know, as opposed to the system itself. I was going to jump in and say that um, that this the statistics surprise me in the change. You know, I'm wondering if as Americans and voters sort of take a step back and really start scrutinizing the elected officials, and maybe they're just becoming more and more dissatisfied with the lack of progress in terms of policy. And I think maybe that might have something to do with why they're blaming the Congress members as opposed to the institution itself. Yeah, and and, that's, and for a long time people said, you know, I uh, I hate Congress but I like my congressman. And now there's a little bit of a, a rub there on that. And clearly when we asked about what Speaker Johnson should be doing, people want compromise. That's the name of the tape. Yeah. The other big thing in here uh, was the questions about the war in Israel and also the war in Ukraine. And I think there's a lot of really interesting information we found in here. Mary, do you want to run through some of these numbers and set the table? So, Lee, you mentioned earlier the um, the question about whether or not the United States should be authorizing funding for wars that the United States is not directly involved in. And we're speaking specifically here to the war between Israel and Hamas, as well as the war between Ukraine and Russia. So the plurality, just slim plurality of Americans do not think that we should be funding either war. 
Um, that's 36%. 35% think that we should be authorizing funding for both wars. And then it becomes much more granular. Only 14% of Americans think that we should be putting funds aside uh, to support Israel in the war with Hamas, and 12% think that we should be authorizing funding to support Ukraine in its war uh, against Russia. Lee, did that surprise you at all? Uh, yes and no. Uh, uh, you know, I think that, you know, initially support for Ukraine was very high and that dissipated. I think we're seeing the same thing going on in the Middle East with Israel, where when you were close to the October 7th attack, there was one reaction and now something else seems to be afoot. And, uh, and that is, you know, within the Republican Party, there's this isolationist theme, which has gained a lot more popularity. And I think our foreign policy has gotten a little confused as a result. And so you might have people like Donald Trump saying one thing and Mitch McConnell saying something very different when it comes to aid in the Ukraine and the Middle East for Israel. And I think, you know, you have some hardline supporters for our democracy allies. And then on the Republican side of the aisle, not so much on either account. I, I just want to bring up a couple of other numbers in relation to the situation in the Middle East. Shortly after the attack, we found that 44% of Americans, the plurality, thought that Israel's response to Hamas was on the money. It was about right. That's gone down to 38%. And there has been an increase among Americans who feel as though the response uh, by Israel has been too much. That's now at 38% up from 26 But the question that really has been sticking with me is the question about Americans' concern domestically about the impact of the, the war in the Middle East um, on hate crimes. And what we've found is that 82% of Americans, and this spans um, partisan differences, are either very concerned or concerned that the war between Israel and Hamas will lead to an increase in hate crimes in the United States. Yeah, I think that's already happened. I think we're capturing here what's happening, and it's sad, uh, but that's exactly what's happening. And I think, again, uh, confusion. In other words, people are not necessarily distinguishing between Hamas and the Palestinians, and they're not necessarily distinguishing between being Jewish and Israel. So, in a sense, there's overlapping concerns, but a lack of clarity as to who the participants are, who the uh, people are to be focused on. And, and that doesn't help get through these hate crime issues. So we're going to take a hard shift in topic here. and We're going to talk about tipping. And the question remains, to tip or not to tip? Back in February, we had uh, we did a segment on this topic. Coming out of the pandemic, we saw that people were increasingly tipping at larger amounts to support server for service workers. Well, a couple of new polls out showed that Americans may not be too keen um, on the idea that tipping is expected in certain situations. So according to a poll out by Pew, 72% of Americans say tipping is expected in more places today than it was in five years ago. I would absolutely agree with that. And Americans aren't big fans of suggested tips. Again, I agree with that as well. 40% say they strongly or somewhat oppose those suggestions, while only 24% of Americans favor uh, tipping. There are a whole bunch of other numbers here that we could take a look at, but let me let Jay weigh in on this topic. Yeah, it's interesting to revisit this because when we talked about this in February, we really were, as you point out, we were coming out of the pandemic. And one of the things we all related to was you go up to get coffee, they flip that screen around so you can pay with your phone, or you tap your card and it says, would you like to tip? And it's like, you're just pouring coffee and handing me a coffee. What am I tipping for? 
And there was the social expectation. Oh, well, they are service workers. Okay, I'll tip. And that's gone to everything. I mean, it's like McDonald's wants you to tip practically. And I think that's what we were talking about in February. What's so interesting about this Pew poll is it goes, and there's another poll, a bank rate poll from earlier in the year that goes a lot deeper into what our relationship as Americans uh, is to tipping. And that's why I think it's so interesting to come back to this. This idea that we're asked to tip in many more places, absolutely the case, right? I mean, it's just tipping is now on every screen, everything you do. I'm surprised I'm not asked at the grocery store to to tip, even though I'm bagging my own groceries. Um, And then this idea that uh, we're we're being uh, suggested to tip, especially in restaurants, I find that helpful, but I get why people find that, you know, like a little much. Uh, but I find it helpful at the bottom of the check when they say, here's 18, here's 20, here's 22. I mean, you know, you I can just fill that, that out without having to pull out my calculator. So in that way, I would disagree, I think, with the, the plurality here of Americans uh, in thinking that the suggested thing. I, I actually like that. I'm uh, the elder statesman here. I like to tip. I don't like to tip. But I feel that I should be tipping, uh, what say younger generation as in college students? I don't know if I speak for all college students, but I tip everywhere. Um, I would say tattoo, haircut, like going out to a restaurant, it doesn't really matter. Like even in coffee places, like I, I tip like across the board. And I would say I tip at least 20%. Mm-hmm. I feel like like in my generation, that's kind of the like, it's if at least 20%. I think a lot of people I know work in the service industry. And if you're not tipping at least 20, it's I, I, I was surprised when I gave you my midterm that you gave me a tip. I guess that wasn't <laughs> a tip. That might have been a bribe. Just kidding. Lee, just Lee's kidding. kidding. Lee's kidding. Lee's kidding. But Nathan, I did want to pick up on something you, you said because I agree with you. I tend to tip 20%. And whenever I go someplace where it's sit down, absolutely, I tip. The one thing that I have trouble with is, you know, you all know that I live in New York City. I probably order food in more so than I would care to share. But when the delivery person comes to my door and I have a family of five and that bill can go up a lot. So, you know, when I'm sitting there and I'm handing my credit card over and it's a 20% or, you know, 15% even, I'm like, ooh, that's a little steep for a tip. I mean, yes, I do take into consideration the inconvenience and the cost of gas and those types of things, but sometimes it's a, I'm a little resentful. How about, if you pick, how about if you pick something up? Like last night, I went to a local Italian restaurant and I picked up the food and I walked in and there the bag was for the price. And I'm, I went through that mental process. Well, I'm getting something to go. Uh, people worked on it. But on the other hand, I wasn't exactly waited on. So uh, I, I, you know, I, I kind of that I kind of did not tip on that one, uh, but I kind of felt like maybe I should usually. Both Pew and Bankrate, uh, in doing these surveys, they did the demography, right, which is what we do. We look at age and race and all that. And uh, Pew found the the tipping habits of older, wealthier, and college-educated people are they tip more than younger, uh, non-college-educated uh, people. Um, although bank rate, the numbers were a little bit different. They were, uh, they, they found that 42% of people agreed, uh, with the statement. I typically t- tip at least 20% in a sit down restaurant. My reaction to both of those though is, wow, only 42% tip 20% at a sit down restaurant. I don't know, Athen, I mean, when you go out with your friends, 
and you have to split up the bill, you Venmo it or whatever. Is there ever a discussion about, wow, 20% or maybe it's just 15%? I mean, what's the discussion that you guys have? No, it's always at least 20%. I think the only time I tip under 20% is like, Mary, what you were saying, like if it's food delivery or if I'm picking up or if it's like a coffee place where I had a really easy order, I'll tip like 10 or 15. But I don't think I would ever tip at a sit-down place, definitely not lower than 20. I, I'm wondering, it, it, it's sort of like we haven't talked about the quality of service, and yet we've been talking about sort of like an automatic given. And I think that's because we think that people need more money right now. And I guess when you said people with college education are uh, likely to tip more, uh, that may also have to do with income. Well, yeah. but Lee, did you, so think back like 15, 20 years, whatever, when you had service at a restaurant that was bad, and it happens, mm -hmm. right? You're like, wow, they never came by. They got the wrong dish. Did you ever say, you know what? I'm giving them 15%. That's my message, or 10%. Did you ever do that? I don't recall doing that. Uh, I kind of feel like dumb, but I, I don't think I've done that. I remember once, though, many, many years ago, where the food just never came, and we, ha we, we actually problem. left, but did sign name and address, and said, send the bill. So uh, <laughs> that was an unusual. That was a, a one a onesie there. That was, that didn't happen more than once. Okay. And, and I looked at this question here for the fun fact, and I thought it was interesting, although I wasn't quite sure I liked the tone, but it says, <laughs> Lifetime Television 1991 asked, if you could come back after death, see that premise I'm not loving there, as an animal, what animal would you choose to be? And I think this was not surprising here, folks. Dogs are the plurality response at 26%. Think of the dogs. What's the big line with dogs? They're already part of the family. So you don't even have to adjust to a new family if you came back as a dog. So I, I'm big on the next one on the list was uh, cat and then horse. I, I, I think I know Casey... Uh, you would uh, probably not go with any of those, I'm thinking. Uh, I wouldn't go with any of these. But what's interesting to me is there's no birds. Like, if I'm being reincarnated, I'm going to fly. <laughs> <laughs> there you, that's, there's a thought. All right, how about, how about what you say the rest? I, I'm with you, Lee. I would certainly want to come back as a dog, especially if I were one of Barb's dogs. I know her horses <laughs> are treated incredibly well, but I just can't get, I don't know what it is about coming back as a horse. There's something that I just don't, I love horses, but I just don't feel, it just doesn't appeal to me to come back as a horse. But I think we're going to let Jay have the last word on this. So Athen, what would you come back as? I think I would come back as a cat. Um, I think out of all the options, cat is the one that doesn't have to do anything. I can be by myself and I don't have to be fed all the time. I get run of the house. I think it would be a pretty good setup. So Athen, I'm, I'm on board with Athen here. I'm a dog person. I'm not, I don't dislike cats, never had cats, not hugely a fan of them. But dogs spend their whole lives being dedicated to us. If I'm going to be reincarnated, I don't want to be dedicated to humans. I want exactly what Athen described, which is total independence. I can look at them and go, screw off. I can lie around. You're going to feed me. I can disappear. I can do anything I want. And you're still going to feed me and treat me well. And that's the life of a cat. I think the life of a cat, if you really think about it, the life of a cat, well, maybe that's not what I want as a human in the pet. I think it is what I want. 
uh, in my reincarnated self. I love my dog as much as I love you. That'll do it for Pole Hut this week. Pole Hub is produced by the Marist Pole at Marist College in Poughkeepsie, New York. Mary Griffith is our executive producer. Casey Schaff is our production supervisor. The Pole Hub team includes Athen Hollis, Hannah Tone, and Rebecca Hendricks. If you enjoy Pole Hub, please consider leaving a review. Positive reviews help other listeners like you find us. If you'd like to learn more about polling and survey science, check out the Marist Poll Academy, our free online learning portal. If you have questions for us, tweet them at us at Maris Poll. Remember, you can always tell your smart speaker to play Poll Hub. And with any luck, it'll cooperate. Finally, wherever you listen to Poll Hub, there is a subscribe button. Click it and the latest episode will be ready for you and your podcasting app as soon as it's released. We'll, we'll see, see you next time. time.